You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, as we continue in our uh, Sermon on the Mount series, Real Talk. And um, so we're kind of getting going this morning. I, as I was thinking about uh, this text and these verses, just how fast all of this must have felt like it was coming on them as they were seated, as they were learning. Do you ever feel like life is going by so fast? Maybe you're at a, a special time in your life and you're going through and the, and the learning curve has you in a place uh, you've never been before. Maybe it's about work. Uh, maybe it's about your circumstances. Maybe it's about friendships. Uh, maybe it's about health things in your life. And, but all of it's going on so fast uh, sometimes we talk about that. We say um, it feels like you're, drink, you're, you're drinking from the fire hose. Um, and it's just all gushing all over the place. And you can't possibly take it in all of it that you need to be learning. And I, I really think that's how these people were probably feeling a little bit as they're learning as Jesus is teaching in this message that we call uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So you got your Bibles open. We want to read the next part of it, verses 21 to 26. Let's stand together so we can honor God as we read his word. Now listen as I start at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this amazing message that uh, Jesus was teaching to, uh, to the disciples who sat as he taught. And we pray, God, that today you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, God, and passionate hearts, God, to live out, live out for your glory. Uh, do your work, God, in this place as only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, you remember that at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had been out, and he comes, he goes up on the mountain, and uh, he sits down to teach them. This whole teaching was done as Jesus was sitting, and uh, he sat there, and he taught them. The first part was, uh, was uh, about the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Really uh, pictures of our Christian conduct, what our character should look like. And then he moved on to the imperatives. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then, and then Jesus last week went on, he was talking about the law, how he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. And uh, he was saying, I didn't come to destroy the law. The law wasn't wrong. The law had its place. It did exactly what it needed to do. But I have come to fulfill the law. Uh, there's so much more. There's so much more for you to learn. There's so much more for you to understand. 
And uh, Jesus, in, in taking us there, he, he finished, the, finished the message about talking about our righteousness and what our righteousness looks like. And last week we talked about easy for us or easier for us because we know the rest of the story. We know what Jesus eventually accomplished. We know what he did. Uh, but they didn't understand that. For them, that was still eyes of faith, eyes still trying to figure all of this stuff out. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ lays that out for them. And unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Well, now Jesus moves into a, a series of different things. Uh, this one about the sixth commandment where uh, he conti continues to teach them. And uh, really to, for them to understand what the law was really about, but how maybe they had missed it. Uh, they, they got some of the things about it right, but they didn't fully understand. And so, uh, so that's what we do, and that, that's what he's doing, and that's what we move into in this text. And, um, and the first thing we want to see in, in the text we're looking at is the traditional view of the commandment that he wants to talk about. Um, look back at verse uh, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable uh, to the judgment. You have heard it said... Um, uh, they didn't have copies of the scripture like we have. Um, and so they went on the teaching from, from those who they sat under. And so they would have heard it said, you're not supposed to kill anybody. You're not supposed to put people to death. You've heard it said, it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. We find that sixth commandment in Exodus 20. It's also found in Deuteronomy that you're not supposed to murder. The Bible's pretty clear about um, what it says about um, people who are murderers. Um, and uh, you can study that on your own in uh, Numbers 35, 31. But premeditated murder in the Old Testament uh, brought with it the death penalty. Um, but the Bible also talked about accidental deaths and manslaughters. And, and God just wasn't out to say people put down. And, and so uh, there were exceptions to that. And you find those in Numbers 35 and other places. That's really not the point of this message to uh, teach about um, that today. Because Jesus is going to take them to a whole different place that they weren't expecting to go. That was just understood by them. Um, in verse 21, again, you've heard it said was said of those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Uh, the purpose of the law was for us to understand our guilt. And so you've come to church today and you're like, preach it, pastor. Preach all you want about murder. I've never killed anybody. Not planning on it this week anyway. So, you know, I don't need to be under any conviction. Um, that's how they were feeling. Uh, they were probably sitting there going, yeah, yeah, I get that murder thing. I'm not supposed to kill anybody. That's not where we're supposed to go. That's not what we're about. And then Jesus, once again, turns the whole thing on its head for them. He all of a sudden, he takes it to a place that they didn't imagine it was, was going to go. Um, some of them are starting to figure out this teacher, he's not like any other teacher we've ever heard before. And by the time they get to the end of this whole sermon, they're like, oh my goodness, who was this guy? Who is this guy? Because his teaching is total, totally shaking and rocking my world. And so they're beginning to understand it. And so we see that in verse 22, the second point, the teaching of Jesus on the commandment, which is really a big crux of what I want to get to today. And um, he says this. He said, you have heard it said, and then Jesus says this, but I say to you. But I say 
to you. This is not like you're um, sitting in class at school and somebody's teaching a theory about something and they say, you've heard it said and you've heard it taught and you've heard it, but I say to you, right? who cares? Right? It really doesn't matter. Um, but they've just been sitting there with him as Jesus is teaching, teaching about the commandment and what you had learned was true. And then he says, but I say to you, but I say to you. And Jesus is claiming an authority that was going to, again, it was going to shake them. It was going to make them wonder. You have heard it said. It's all the traditions you grew up with. But I say to you, but I say to you. You had an understanding of what the law was about you should not kill. You shall not murder. But now I'm going to show you the part of that that maybe you missed, the part of it you didn't understand. I'm going to reveal to you the rest of the story. I'm not going to abolish the law. I'm going to fulfill it. Uh, you're going to see. And Jesus is going to do this about a half a dozen more times as we will work our way through uh, this chapter of Matthew. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus is claiming an authority over and above anything they had ever heard before. Jesus is claiming deity. Jesus is claiming that he has the power, the authority, and the right to claim to be God and to say the things he's about to say and it will shake you. But I say to you, uh, Jesus Im 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 uh, implies the deity and uh, he demands three divine rights. There are about 12 different ways we can see that. Um, Jesus claimed three divine rights. This is not in this text, but just as he was talking about who he was. And so think about the weight of, but I say to you, uh, Jesus claimed to be able to judge mankind. And Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins. And Jesus claimed to be able to grant eternal life. Those are the things that Jesus is, is claiming. And they're going to start to see this unravel before them as their thoughts get all messed up. And they're thinking about, my goodness, look what Jesus is revealing to us. A few more things that take us to a total of 12 things. He declared that his presence was God's presence. The attitude people took toward him would determine their eternal destiny. He identified his actions with God's actions. He taught the truth on his own authority. He performed miracles on his own authority. He appeared to receive worship. He assumed that his life was a pattern for others to follow. He applied to himself Old Testament texts that described God. In several parables, he directly identified himself with the Father or the King. Sorry if you didn't get all 12 of those. You can study those on your own. Jesus is saying when he says, but I say to you, I have an authority that no one else has. And when we think about those first things, especially that he claimed about the ability to judge mankind and forgive sins and grant eternal life, it takes us to the place where we are in our walk with God as we consider what he's about to say to us in this text. Oh, what's the claim that Jesus Christ has on your life? The reality of what he accomplished for you and your turning in repentance and faith and following Jesus Christ because he is your savior. 
He is the one who died. He is the one who rose again. He is the one who sits at the right hand of God. And, and he makes intercession for you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. But I say to you, he's saying, if you're here today and you've trusted Christ, he's about to turn that whole you shouldn't murder thing right on its head for them. He's saying, but I say to you, but I say to you, but I say to you, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, the teaching is still true. Uh, they, they were trying to figure it all out. They're sitting there listening to all of this and their heads are starting to spin and it would be a number of months and years later they would watch Jesus Christ go to the cross and, and they would see his, the proof of the resurrection and, and you have to determine what you'll do with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says to you today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Jesus says to you today. And just like many in the room have trusted Christ, most in the room have trusted Christ by simple faith. It's not about your works. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you accomplish. It's about what God did. It's about what he accomplished. And he offers it all to you as a gift. And Jesus says to you today, but I say to you, but I say to you, if you've never trusted Christ, I urge you, I beg you, that today would be the day you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. They're sitting there and they're listening and they've heard the Beatitudes, they've heard the salt and light part, they've heard the I've come to fulfill the law and now Jesus gets into the nitty gritty of this and he says, but I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother. So now we look at the implications. We saw his authority, and now we start to look at the implications. You see, they were all about the external. That's what they watched. That's what they saw. And so when they watched the scribes and the Pharisees, as long as people weren't killing each other, it was okay. That's, that's as far as it needed to go. And Jesus says, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh. Too many people of you are killing people in your mind. Too many of you are angry. Too many of you are hateful. Too many of you are, this law goes way beyond just don't actually do the act. This law goes to don't have the heart that would ever get you to doing the act. The implications. Jesus makes it all about their heart. He turns it around says, you want this, you want this commandment to only be about the external because it's easy then. I'm telling you, this law has much more to do than just about the external. And he goes on and he gives uh, three illustrations. The first one he says, if anyone is angry with his brother, he'll be liable to judgment. You'll notice back in the verse before, anyone who murders, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now there's judgment coming. And if you have an angry heart and an angry spirit, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. We're going to end the message with some things you can do. But Jesus says, um, to everyone who's angry with his brother, he'll be liable to judgment, the judgment of the courts throughout Palestine. Um, and they, they were normally resolved for common criminals, and you would go, and, and their punishment would be meted out to you. So who are you angry with? Who are you not right with? who just ticks you off and you'd go out of your way not to be around them. 
Wasn't it nice when I was just saying, don't kill people? And Jesus turns it to your heart. Maybe you've already heard the thing you need to hear in this message. Don't go, there's more coming. But maybe you've, you've already heard what you need to hear in this message. You already know what you need to do. Because there'll be judgment for these things. The second one is interesting. It says, I mean, whoever insults his brother will be liable uh, to the council. If you have notes in your Bible, mine says, um, down there it says, the Greek says, raka. I was going to, I was like, you know, let's all practice that word because it just sounds so bad. Like, turn to your, don't do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, raka, right? We don't do that because the Bible says don't do that, all right? So that was kind of a dumb idea that got left on the, on the cutting room floor because um, we don't need to practice that because we're not going to do it. Um, but here's what that was about. That was all about calling someone out because of their contempt for them, for their intelligence, for their character. It's, it's almost an untranslatable word because it described a tone. It described a tone as much as it was a definition of a term. Raka. You'd get so angry at them that that word would spill off of your lips. You were calling them stupid or empty-headed or you were saying they were a nitwit or a bonehead. They were a brainless person. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever says raka, insults his brother, will be liable to the council. And so one is more a, th- a thing of the heart. The next one is what starts to come out from the, from the inside. And now you're starting to say things. And you too are going to be judged. The Sanhedrin council. These were just pictures Jesus gave. That would have been more like kind of the uh, superior court of Ontario. You're going to go there and, and you're going to pay a price. But Jesus is turning all of this to be about your heart. And he goes on the third picture, he says, um, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Uh, Now that that word, um, hell of fire, uh, comes from the Greek word translated Gehenna, which is a transliteration of the Hebrew word Gehenna. You watch me read all that, right? Because I didn't know that on my own, right? Um, And you're like, well, now I know a Greek root and I know a Hebrew root, but it means absolutely nothing to me. So uh, that was the way to describe hell. It didn't say you were going to go to hell. It said you'd be liable to the hell of fire. But that whole Gehinnon thing, just so we understand how they understood it, they're sitting there, where they're sitting is well north of Jerusalem, but they knew all about this place. The valley of, of Hinnon was a valley south of Jerusalem where they, they burned all the garbage of the city. And they burned it continually. And the fire never went out. And it was a stench. And Jesus is like pouring this onto these people. They're sitting there. By now, their heads are spinning. They're like, I need a Tylenol. I'm getting a headache. I thought all I had to do was not kill my brother. And now you're telling me. Now you're telling me what this law really meant was about me. It was about me. It was about my heart. Don't call your brother a fool. Don't call your brother a fool. People do foolish things. 
Well, that was a foolish thing you did. That's not calling your brother a fool. He did a foolish thing. I've done many, many, many foolish things. But don't call your brother a fool because you'd be liable to judgment. Here's some things the Bible says about fools. Um, all out of the book of Proverbs. A fool hates knowledge. Just write down the references. Don't try and write this down. You won't be able to keep up. A fool hates knowledge in Proverbs 1, 22. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Proverbs 18, 2. A fool enjoys wicked schemes, Proverbs 10, 23. A fool proclaims folly, Proverbs 12, 23. A spurns parents' discipline, 15, 5. Speaks perversity, 19, 1. Is quick-tempered, 12 and 16. Gets himself in trouble with, his, with proud speech, 14, 3. Mocks at sin, 14, 9. Is deceitful, 14, 8 despises his mother, 15.2. These are words that describe a person who is so pathetic, Jesus says. Don't even use those words. Scripture describes them so that we would stay away from them. We wouldn't be like that. If God chooses to call you that, that's one thing. But Jesus says, whoever, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so Jesus lays out these three pictures for them and kind of summed it all up in one sentence. Wrong emotions and attitudes to others can kill your relationship with God. Wrong emotions and attitudes to others can kill our relationship with God. You would never actually go out and kill them. But it's devastating your walk with God. The anger you have, the things you say, the things you want to say. And who's suffering? You are. Your walk with God's not like it used to be. You're caring for other people, your desire to be in the Word, your being on your knees. It's all gone south because you've got this thing going on in your heart. And so Jesus takes, you shall not murder and he makes it a matter of the heart. And then he goes on in the rest of the text, and he talks about the impact on our lives. I look at verses 23 to 26. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never, ne you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Here's the impact on our lives. Uh, Jesus gives two illustrations, one involving temple worship and one involving legal actions against us. Um, and in that first one, he says, it's a great picture. Um, again, I was thinking in my office, I've got to make sure we take the offering before we preach this verse. And then I was a little bit rebuked by that thought. Um, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And then come and offer your gift. Listen to this sentence. 
I want you to listen to it carefully. Reconciliation is more important than your worship in that it must come first. Really, Pastor? Isn't it more important that we just come and feel good about each other? We get to church and we all sing songs and... Yeah, man looks on the outward appearance and God looks at your heart. And, and so the picture was they would bring their gift to the altar and they would leave it there and people would see and they would think everything was okay. And Jesus is saying, it's not okay. It's not okay. You might impress your neighbor, you might impress your spouse, you might impress your friend, but God's saying, you're not impressing me. Your worship is Nothing really a waste of your time. You might as well have stayed in bed. But you notice he doesn't say stay in bed. He doesn't say don't bring your gift. He says you bring it and then you leave it there at the side and you go and get things right. You go and make it right. And then you come back and you offer your gift. You offer your gift. In, geome in geometry, I learned that the shortest distance between two points is what? Is a, a straight line, right? I, I, Doug could probably tell us that that's probably not technically true. I'm not sure about that. But, but here's the reality. Um, the straightest distance to God is not always a straight line. Sometimes when you're bringing your gift to the Lord, now you need to stop and put it down. And you need to go, and you need to make that thing right with that brother who you've hurt or who's hurt you. And, and then you come back, and you pick up your gift, and you offer it. You offer it to the Lord. Coming to church with a pious look on your face when things are a mess at home. Coming to church with a pious look on your face when things are bad at work. Coming to work with a pious look on your face when things aren't right with your neighbor. Don't bring your gifts to me, God says, if your heart isn't right. Have a right heart. I love the fact in Corinthians when Jesus talked about a community, he talked about let a man examine himself, let a man examine himself. You get your heart right. See, we look, we, we're just like the scribes and the Pharisees. We, we're the external people. We're looking on the external God's looking at your heart. God, he's looking at your heart. The option here is not not bring your gift, but rather bring it with a right heart. Well, then he goes on to the second illustration in verse 25 and 26. He says, he says this, um, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, they ask your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Now, interesting, it's interesting you use this illustration, but Jesus is the master teacher. I'm not arguing with his teaching. Um, this is an illustration of where I'm the guilty party and someone's bringing an accusation against me. And so um, I've done something against George. I, he, he loaned me some money or something, and I didn't pay him back. And, and, uh, and, and it's a picture that they would all understand. We're going to go to court. We're going to go to court, and you're going to lose. And Jesus is saying, if that person's coming against you, and you're the guilty party, you need to make it right. It's your job to make it right. 
It honors Christ when you make it right because you're going to get into the system and there's going to be, there's kind of even explain what the system was a little bit here. They're going to hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and they're going to put you in prison because you're guilty. You need to make it right. Sitting having my devotions this morning and uh, I was thinking as Jesus was teaching, they didn't understand this. But he was teaching them and they were the guilty party about their sin. Not just their sin against their neighbor, but their sin against Almighty God. And Jesus is going, you better get that right. You better get that right. Because if you don't get it right, you're going to pay the debt. Until it's paid in full, you're going to pay it. And we can never pay the price. Verse 26, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid every single penny. If somebody got something against you, I don't know what it is. Maybe it was a business deal. Maybe it was something you did that was shady. Maybe it was somewhere back and they brought that charge against you and you've dodged it. You've stayed away from it. Maybe you're facing going to court for it. He says right in the text, you get out there, you get that thing fixed. You get it fixed on the way to court. You get that price paid. You get it right. It might not be easy. It might take time. You'll probably have to swallow your pride. You may have been saying for a long time, I'm not doing anything about it. And today you're sitting here and you're going, I got to get that right. I got to do what's right. So that you don't end up paying a price. Because you are already paying a price. Um, you're carrying a burden. You're carrying a load. And there's a debt to be paid for anger and not reconciling. Watch the payments being made. I, I watch them being made in people's lives every day in our church. There's not a lot of people that this specific thing applies to, but I watch the anger, I watch the bitterness, I watch the load they carry, and because they've got a guilt that they're carrying and they haven't made it right. And isn't it interesting how Jesus took something you shouldn't kill and he turned it on its head and now he brings it down to you get things right because that person has hurt you or you hurt them and now all you want to do is hurt them some more and you're never paying them back. And Jesus said, until the debt is paid. The picture was of a kind of a debtor's prison. You will, you're going to live in it until every debt is paid. And probably in their culture, you would have someone who would pay something off for you. You would then become their slave or their servant until it was all paid off. You didn't get freedom. And Jesus Christ brought the charge against every one of us in this room. You have sinned against me. You have fallen short. And Jesus says, go and get that right. Go and get that right. And all of your debt was placed on Jesus Christ. Because you'd be paying it off forever. You would never pay it off. 
You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, it's a matter of your heart. Get the relationships right, do the right things, see God and get the glory. Well, well, so what? So what? Hey, pastor, are you telling me that it's always wrong to be angry? No, not saying that at all. There are times when it's right to be angry. There are times when it's good to be angry. Uh, Jesus said, uh, Jesus didn't, Paul said in Ephesians 4, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And there's a time when anger is right. There's a time when anger is righteous. But make sure your anger is righteous anger and not selfish anger and pride anger and arrogance anger. There's a time when anger is right. But most times for us, our anger comes because we're selfish and we're prideful and we want what we want. Be very, very, very careful. You see, because this law, what Jesus was really teaching them was the scribes and the Pharisees, the verses right before it, he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And then he gives them the first illustration, the first illustration. Don't murder. You thought it was just about taking a knife and stabbing somebody, taking a gun, shooting somebody, taking a whatever, and they're gone. And Jesus goes, it's so much more than that. I want to see the attitude of your heart. I want to see what you are like inside. How do we live out not harboring anger and bitterness and hurt? How do we bring about a heart of reconciliation? There's some things that uh, are taught right in that text, and and maybe this is what you need to do today. Um, Remember when it said, um, leave your gift and go? Um, You need to act immediately. If God's placed something on your heart today, and and you're like, I know exactly what I need to do. Don't go, eh, you know, maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. As you're bringing your gift to the altar, and you realize Leave your gift and go. God wants worship from people who have a pure heart and a right heart towards them. And if there's a reason it can't be like right this afternoon and it needs to be tomorrow, as soon as you possibly can, you go. Act immediately. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and therefore remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Take the first step. Leave your gift there and go. Take the first step. Prioritize it before worship. It sounds so counterintuitive to us, right? It's like, really? I'm not supposed to worship God. You're not worshiping God if you don't have a right heart. If your heart's wrong, your worship's going like right to here. That's as far as it's going because you're harboring these things and you're not doing what God has. And and so you stand in church with your arms raised, singing your lungs out, and you wish the person beside you was dead. You go and get it right. Prioritize it first. Make it right with any person you have wronged. All of these illustrations weren't about people that had hurt you and you deserved it. They brought a case against you. Jesus talked about if if you're angry, Make it right. Write every wrong that you're guilty of. And go and talk to the person and make it right. There needs to be confession. There needs to be repentance. It's what God's called us to. 
Don't allow anger to be the downfall of your spiritual walk. You will never get out until you pay the last penny. You carry these things, you're going to pay, you're going to pay, you're going to pay. Romans 12, 17 to 18 says, We pay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this teaching of Jesus Christ. I, I can't imagine, as they were sitting there hearing this, how, how overwhelmed they must have been. Not just on the reality of what you were about to teach them, but the reality of the authority with which they were going to hear it and who they would hear it from. But Lord, we understand what Jesus Christ has done. We understand what Jesus Christ has accomplished. We are in such a sweet place because we know the rest of the story. But Father, we're responsible for that too. So many things, thousands and thousands of ways that you have blessed us, you've poured those things out, reasons that you've demonstrated your love for us. You call us to holiness. You call us to righteousness. You call us to right relationships. Because, because Father, we, we are a picture of you. We're your ambassadors. We are the light. We are the salt. So, Lord, what's the thing you've placed on my heart today? What's the thing you've placed on the heart of the people in this room today? Would we hear your word, but we be doers of it, God, with changed hearts. For the glory of our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name.